Throughout this Lenten season, we are walking through uh, the things that Jesus said on the cross as he was uh, in the process of dying for us, dying for our sins. And each week we're taking a, a close look at one of those sayings by focusing in on just one word. And this week that word happens twice in this text. Uh, it's the word here. Here, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. I want to start with a, a different question this morning, and that is, how can we tell the Bible's big story? Like, if we were to go up to somebody and tell the whole story of Scripture, the big story, what types of things might we say? How might we go about talking about it? Within our community, one of, the, one of the things we often say is, is this. It's a shorthand way of telling the Bible's story. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. We say the, the scripture really has these big movements to it of, of God creating and humanity rebelling against God or falling away from God and causing all sorts of chaos and brokenness and God stepping in and, and going on this long road of redemption that culminates in, in Jesus Christ's life, especially his death and resurrection. And, and then from there, we talk about how God is, is still at work today, moving us towards that day when he will make everything new, when, when Christ will come back, and the brokenness and death and sorrow of this world will be taken away. And so we use these, these four words of creation, fall, redemption, new creation as a, as a shorthand way of telling the big narrative of Scripture. We might actually also be able to tell it through images. Trees and waters are, are two of my favorite ones that come up all the way through Scripture. You can think of the trees that are in the Garden of Eden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And, and you actually go through Scripture and it's remarkable how many times trees become a very central part of the storyline all the way through. And, and even some of the words they use to describe the cross actually reference tree in them in the original languages and so all the way through the scriptures you get this image of tree and you can do the same things with water or river all the way through including our, our act of baptism and that act of baptism gets woven into this image that tells the biblical story some of us might think of a few key words and we could talk about God creating a kingdom in the beginning and, and humanity rebelling against that kingship of God. And, and you could look at the word kingdom and the way it plays out all the way, both Old Testament and New Testament. Even to the end of Scripture where it talks about the kings of the earth bringing their treasures into the new heaven and new earth. You could talk about covenant or even the word peace. That biblical word shalom that weaves itself through scripture. What's remarkable to me is when some of the even smaller words show up. And today we're going to focus on one of those, the word here. You may think, well, here, that's not that big of a word. But when you look at the word here and where it shows up in the scripture account, it's all over the place. Redeemer University College this year has been focusing in their chapels on the phrase, here am I, 
And it's because it's all through both Old Testament and New Testament. People responding to God's work in their life by saying, here am I. And you get people like Abraham and Moses and Hannah and Samuel and Isaiah and Jesus. Even the the Revelation 3 passage, that letter to the church of Laodicea, Jesus says, here I am standing at the door knocking. If anyone will open that door and let me in, I'll come in and eat with him. And it's that that location, there's something of this biblical narrative that's told by that word, here I am, here am I. Here is water. The Ethiopian eunuch, he he pulls that up as as he's learning and hearing the gospel for the first time and and scripture's becoming understood to him and and he's standing there with Philip and he looks and says, water, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized now? And he enters into the kingdom of God's people. That word here coming to the surface again. Today we're going to focus on, on two other occasions where that word here tells part of God's story, the, the story of redemption. And the first is Adam's use of here way back in the garden. And the first occurrence of the word here in scripture is when Adam uses it. And we'll, we'll spend some time with it. And then we'll spend some time with how Jesus uses the word here when he's on the cross. Adam's here in the garden. Adam gets caught. (laughs) Gets caught in his sin. Gets called out by God because they took the fruit from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat and they ate it. And then they went and hid from God. And when God says, did you eat from this tree? Adam's response isn't first to say, yep, I did. His first response is to say, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Blaming. The first use of this word here is a way of blaming. It's a way of saying it's not my fault, it's it's the other person's fault. And if you read this text carefully, you realize that Adam does something remarkable. He manages in the same sentences to blame both God and the woman. It's not mine. Couldn't be my responsibility. God, it's your fault because you gave me this woman. You put her here with me. You caused all this, God. And it's the woman's fault because she gave me the fruit to eat. Couldn't be me. It couldn't be my problem. We have a fun kind of response in our house when we start arguing and blaming. And it usually ends up with something like, it's the sister you gave me. And that's how we call out the arguments in the house. And sometimes it's me, and the kids will actually say to me, oh yeah, it's the wife you, the Lord gave you, right? And we have to go, oh, yeah. How many of our problems and our struggles in this world end up on something along these lines? It's the boss you gave me. It's the teacher you gave me. It's my coworker. It's my neighbor. It's the policeman's fault that he pulled me over. Right? Blaming. That word here in this text is, is kind of an emphatic point that I would be okay if there wasn't anybody else around me. It's like some of the, the teachers who end up saying, teaching would be great if there weren't any students. 
We, we want this life that's all about us, all about me, and if anything goes wrong with what we had hoped for, it's got to be somebody else's fault. But it's not just the blaming. It's the division that comes with it. I don't know if you catch what's going on in, in this text in, in Genesis 3, but the, the tension that's forming here and, and the fracturing that happens, the division that enters in, it, it is between a, a man and his wife, between Adam and Eve, and there's a division that comes between them. But even more importantly, it's a division of the image of God. You see, when God created man and woman, he said, let's create humanity in our image, and, and male and female, and we'll create them together, and somehow together they will, they will bear our image in this world. And, and not just them, but we're going to call them to be fruitful and multiply so that together the two of them and their descendants, and it will be an intergenerational image it will be more than any one of them can have. It will be all of humanity together, bearing the image. And so when Adam points the finger at Eve and says, here, it's this person's problem, not mine, it's really not just a division between Adam and Eve. It's a tearing apart, a tearing apart of the image of God and the way the image of God works out in this world. It's a fracturing of God's image. And that fracturing, that division that sets in, is still feel, felt today. It's felt on religious lines. It's felt on, on gender lines. It's felt on ethnic lines. It's felt even on economic lines and language lines. We find all sorts of things that we can use to set ourselves apart from other image bearers. And usually when we do that, we end up saying that we've got more of God's image in us. <laughs> and they're deficient. It's even written into laws. You know that? That laws get written in ways that, that diminish the value of other people. Dividing, tearing apart the image of God even do it in the church. We have denominations and we've clung to denominational identity and so much so that we, we split and split and split and split again and again and again, dividing the image of God one from another. When that division happens, when people get divided from one another, when the image of God is fractured and, and torn apart, what comes afterwards is death. Hey, Adam and Eve saw it in their own kids when Cain kills Abel. I cannot imagine Adam and Eve's hearts and what they went through emotionally, and they lived for 900 years. <laughs> They lived a long time carrying the weight of their sin because they saw it bear out in their kids. Remember how God's image is, is intergenerational. It's God creating Adam and Eve, but then saying be fruitful and multiply because God's image can't be contained in one generation and it's supposed to go 
to the next generation, but that next generation has death in it, not the fullness of life. And that death, death was not something we were never, never meant to carry. And even just mentioning that word death, some of us are brought back to memories of people that we have loved who have died. We weren't meant to carry death. We weren't meant to have these image bearers, these fellow image bearers, these glimpses of God's grace and God's love torn away from us. Death wasn't supposed to be part of the story. The blaming led to dividing, led to death. Amazing how one little word here can get us into the heart of the story. What God created good and had intended to flourish, we somehow tore apart, ripped apart, shattered, killed. Even our technology doesn't work right. You want to advance? Thanks. <laughs> Jesus says, Woman, here is your son. And to his disciple, here is your mother. Some people read that text, woman, and just as an aside, that when Jesus says woman here, it's actually a word that in the, in the Greek was a, a term kind of, in, of endearment. Dear mom. <laughs> Dear mother, my dear, dearest mother. It's not a throwaway term. It's uh, actually a, a term of respect here. Here is your son. Here is your mother. And what is Jesus doing in this space? When, when he uses this here, he's, he's in some sense doing a, a gift giving. He's taking two people and he's, he's putting them together. And on the surface we read this and we can go, yeah, Jesus, as the oldest son, is about to die, and his responsibility in that culture as the oldest son was to take care of his parents. And if his dad was dead, which we assume at this point, him saying, John, take care of my mom, is him making sure that someone is lined up to take over his responsibilities. And there's a surface level of that. But if that's where we stop, we miss the power of what Jesus is doing on the cross here. Death. Jesus is entering death willingly. He's not being forced into it the way that, that, that Cain forced Abel into death. He's not being forced into death the way that wars and violence between kings and kingdoms did for so many centuries in which governments and terrorists occupy and enter in now. He's not forcing death and it's not being forced upon, it. He, upon him. He's entering into it willingly. He's saying, I'm starting in your place of brokenness. I'm entering into the depth of what you have experienced, the ultimate consequence of that first sin. Here I am on the cross taking on your death. I'm putting it on myself. Jesus is owning our story. 
right here on the cross. And not only that, he, what he's doing on that story, Scripture tells us later, is, is he's div- tearing down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, that's a, it's a big phrase, and, and we have a little bit of a glimpse of it over here. This third painting that's been put up for this season is meant to remind us of how when Jesus actually died, the, the curtain in the temple that divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of the space where people could be. It was torn in two, allowing us to be reconciled with God. But that dividing wall of hostility also had certain areas where where men could be in the sanctuary, and they could be just outside of the Holy of Holies. And then there was a place for, for the Gentile men that, that they could be out there and for a place for the women and the children. And it, it was all segregated and there was levels at which people could enter based on their status. And all those divisions and, and Jesus' death are, are torn apart. He tears down those divisions in order to bring about a unity that no matter if we have been far from God, or or close to God, we're all brought together in God's presence through what Jesus is doing here on the cross. But don't miss what he does by giving Mary, his mom, to John, his beloved friend. He's actually re-knitting together that original division. He's saying men and women can trust each other again. He's saying humanity, its image is being put back together, no longer divided and torn apart. Look what he's doing. He's taking someone who's in one family and another one who's in another biological family, and he's saying, you're now family together. You're no longer in competition for survival with each other. You actually can provide for each other and care for each other. The natural response would have been Jesus to say to one of his brothers, and we know he had several brothers, I'm dying, it's your turn, take care of mom. He didn't do that. He went outside the family, and in this act of of giving Mary to John and John to Mary, he's saying, there's something here that you need to experience that's part of this this act I'm doing. I'm pulling the image of God back together. It's no longer violent and against each other and dividing each other. It's, it's coming from separate places, and I'm bringing you together. Do you remember Jesus' prayer the night before he went to the cross? Lord, I pray that they might be one. Even as you and I are one, that they might be one, and as they are one, that the world will know that they are my disciples. In other words, the gospel story is being worked out in front of us as Jesus takes two people and puts them together who ordinarily wouldn't have gone together. And he says, you're here together to care for each other, to love each other, to watch out for each other. I'm putting you back together. I'm putting God's image bearing in this world back together. And it starts at the foot of the cross. Perhaps the most significant thing Jesus is doing here, the thing that makes the rest of this possible, is that he takes the blame for us. Jesus 
was the only innocent person to ever live. The only one who was without sin. The only one who didn't deserve to be on the cross. The only one who didn't deserve God's wrath and destruction. And instead of saying, God, my Father, you know it's not my fault. It's all theirs. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Release them. He he took the blame for us. He said, I'll bear the consequence of their sin. I'll be separated from you, God. I'll bear the violence of the government. I'll bear the oppression of the religious powers that are at play. I'll be separated from family and friend. I'll be considered an outcast. I'll be stripped and humiliated. I'll die. I will take the blame. On the cross, that's what Jesus does. Instead of pointing fingers and saying, here, this one, here, that one, here, that one, here, this one, Jesus on that cross says, here, I'll take their sin, Dad, and I'll make it right. I'll end the cycle of violence and blaming. I'll end the division so that they might be whole again. I'd like you just to look at the people around you. Just take a minute. You may not have actually looked in the face of the person next to you. It's okay. You can look them in the face. Just take a look. Jesus is saying to us gathered here today, here's your mother and your brothers and your sisters. Here are the people I'm giving you to each other that you might love one another as I have loved you, that you might lay down your lives for one another as I have laid down my life for you. Here, walk with each other. Carry each other's burdens. Eat with one another as I have eaten with you. Serve one another as I have served you. Wash their feet as I have washed your feet. He's restoring the image of God. Not just in the past somewhere, but here today. In our midst, among us who are gathered here, God is saying, look at the fullness of my image. Look around you and see the love I have for you. Look around you and see the love that you get to share with others. And in so doing, you will receive my grace. You will know my forgiveness. You will know the depth of my love for you when you love one another. Right here. Right here. Let's pray.